Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. She got into my arms. She loves flowers. And I was like, I'm so sorry. She has autism. She was like, she's fine. Well, on Oliver Plunkett Street in the middle of broad daylight, there's a group of young men just getting high. For somebody coming in off an ambulance trolley, I have found that we physically do not have enough trolleys. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ. Yeah, morning to you. Another chance to win your way to Ibiza for a week on us with all the trimmings coming up. I think we're doing it after 10 this morning. Here's the tune you're listening out for. Yeah, Rui da Silva between 10 and 11. I think I think it is. It might change my mind. You know, I like that, but we'll see. Good morning. A lot to do. Uh, a big follow-up to yesterday's conversation with Emer Tobin about that latest case in which a woman who was suing the HSE over her cervical smear slides, she died in the last few days. We're talking uh, with Emer Tobin about that yesterday quite quite a follow-up, including one woman I'll be talking to who has just completed the court process and come out the other side of it and it was a battering experience for her and she wants to talk about it and she wants to warn people that it's not easy to do. It certainly is not easy to do. I will get to that. But first I want to go to the, the mean streets of our own city uh, to Maury Tuig uh, from the 96FM newsroom. A stabbing incident on Grand Parade uh, around half seven last evening. Maury, as I was driving in this morning, my normal route to work was blocked because there was still a Garda Cordon on that area around Dawn Square at around quarter past seven. Is it still there now? Morning. Yeah, PJ, the incident scene was preserved and, and that guard the investigation's ongoing. But as you said, this happened at around 7.30pm last evening and it's understood uh, that a man in his mid-twenties was stabbed in the incident and as you said there, it was near John Square. Now, he was taken to hospital, rushed to hospital where he's in a critical condition, but another man in his early twenties was arrested and uh, taken to a guard station in the city for questioning last night. We have no idea... Were they known to each other? What happened here? Do we know the details? 
We don't know the details quite yet, or, or as you say, if they were known to each other, but you can imagine at half seven on a on a bright evening that the place would have been quite busy and Garthi are appealing for witnesses. So they want anyone, you know, who might have been driving by, by a road user or a pedestrian uh, who might have camera footage. And this would include dash cam as well. Anyone with a car or a van maybe might have a dash cam um, on, on their front, uh, on the front of the car. So if they did capture anything there um, and were in the area of Grand Parade or Dawn Square between quarter past seven and 8 p.m. last night, they are asked to make this footage available to Garthi. And that would greatly uh, assist in their investigation into establish exactly uh, what happened here. So they are looking for witnesses. They are looking for help in their investigation to try and establish the facts of of this incident. But yeah. as I say, a man in his mid twenties, he was seriously injured. He was taken to CUH, um, and where he is in a in a critical condition. Mm. Just geographically, just uh, for people, I guess, Maureen, the best location. It's there. There's a big centre there on Grand Parade, and then there's a little laneway down the side of it, and that road goes over by the outdoor sports shop there and down into the Colcade. That little street there, I don't know what the name of it is, that's cordoned, that's where it happened. So, like you said, dash cam, there'd be a lot of taxis, a lot of ordinary cars around there. They, somebody must have been in the area and captured it. And there'd be local CCTV as well, which I'm assuming the guards are harvesting. Absolutely, that's it. They'll be doing everything they can in this investigation to, to gather as much evidence as they can. And as you say, you never know, you could have been taking a picture of something else and, you know, you might have captured um, something that would be important to the investigation. But I suppose in every case, that's for the guards to decide. So if you do have anything that you think might be of interest, um, I suppose the, the message is to, to give that to the guardie and let them you know, see it and decide for themselves if it, if it might um, help with, with their investigation into uh, discovering this was exactly what went on here last night. That that street between Centra and the now defunct Argos is St. Augustine Street, that's that little street down there by the side, and then running across the front of Argos down into into the Colcade, that's where it's actually uh, sealed off. Maureen, thank you very much. Appreciate that, Maureen Tuig from the Cork's 96FM newsroom. The guards have a confidential line, as always, 1-800-666-111, or you can talk to any guard at the station. The Bridewell are the people actually investigating. That's 494-3330. If you were there, imagine if you were taking a picture across the street, a selfie with someone, or doing a little video of whatever you might be taking a little video of around the city centre. Have a look back at it. If you were anywhere there last night, have a look back at it. You might see something. Give it to the guards. They, You can give it to them in total confidence. And they'll tell you whether it's worth anything. They'll take a copy of it. You'll know no more about it. But you'll be helping them in their investigation. There are all sorts of rumours and stories and possibilities and thoughts going around social media last night. There were some very upsetting pictures as well. There's one picture was going around of the guards actually standing, holding. It was taken, I think, from upstairs above, over this incident, guards holding tarpaulin sheets to block the public view of what was going on. And for for a time, I think there was certainly a feeling around the place that the chap might have died. He didn't. He's in hospital. He is very critically ill. Another man was arrested and uh, I assume taken to the Bridewell. It says taken to a guard the station. I'll assume it's the Bridewell. And he's detained under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act. But that that confidential line, as always, 1-800-666-111 or the bridal themselves. 
021494330 if you can help with investigating that. Our number, 0818 96, 96, 96 Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. Is there any further developments in that story if that cordon is lifted? If anybody is travelling in that area and knows whether or not that gather cordon is still in place around Dawn Square, if it's gone, let me know. I know many of our taxi drivers and our bus drivers listen to us during any given morning. So let us know if that cordon is still there or if it's gone. You can just fling us a quick text to 083 396 9696. Now, quite a response yesterday. Oh yeah, there was another story. There was another crime story that went around yesterday and kind of went under the radar a little bit. But do you remember the man who was killed in Carrigaline at Christmas? Uh, his his name was Matt O'Neill and he died in an incident at Ard Carrig in Carrigaline uh, back in Christmas time. Two men have gone on or have been charged rather, they've been charged with his murder. This guy was 29. He suffered a number of injuries and he died. Uh, Ricardo Hoey from Ard Carrig and Jordan DC of 41 Ravensdale Herons Wood have been before Cork District Court charged with murdering Matt O'Neill uh, last Christmas. That's one that obviously will run and run for a while, but uh, worth keeping across it. Thank you. Now, let's come back to this story yesterday. A story from the High Court of a woman, 59-year-old woman, who was suing over the misreading of her cervical cancer slides. And she died in the last few days. And she died before any kind of a deal could be done, which meant that her right to general damages was not preserved and in the run up to her death she was so sick she couldn't even appear in court, she couldn't speak for herself in court, her solicitors like you know and company were doing all of that for her but she was so sick she couldn't go into court and her lawyers pleaded with the HSE and with the labs involved to settle the case and they made in their own words a humanitarian request to give some kind of assurance that her right to damages would be preserved. That never came. The case was due to go on trial in the High Court next month. Um, That won't happen now, obviously, or it will happen maybe later. The judge, and this was the particularly upsetting part of the report that we read, um, Judge Paul Coffey pretty much turned around to everyone in court last week and said, look, I've done as much as the law allows me to do. He said, and I quote, that they find themselves at the edge of what the law can do. And it is now a case where common decency and honour become involved. There was some mediation, 
late in the week, but the poor woman died before the talks were able to reach any resolution. Now it'll be down to her bereaved husband to, to take it up further. But another very upsetting story, upsetting chapter in the cervical cancer debacle which began a number of years ago with the late great Vicky Phelan's case. A woman I've spoken to many times since then is Carol Murray from Cork, a member of the 221 Plus group. Carol, another upsetting story emerging about another woman who has lost her life, another family bereaved and another very, very difficult court case. But but not for you, not, not a surprise to you at all, I think. Good morning. Hi, PJ. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it is quite upsetting. Um, but like at the end of the day, I'm not surprised. Like this is five years later and it's still people are still being dragged through the court five years from it came to light, really. Um, and people are still forced to be go to court and stuff, you know. When they're far from able to do so, this poor lady was too sick to even go in the end. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Like for myself, like I am taking legal proceeding. I, I'm not denying that. I'm not hiding it. But for myself, I hopefully like I'll go like so far so good. I have time on my hands where there's many women that are terminal and there are many women that are still fighting to get their voice heard and get get you know, closure for themselves and their family before their time does come, you know what I mean? And it's quite heartbreaking because, like, they don't have time on their hands, you know, and it's, it's called a spade a spade, you know what I mean? And for the fact that they're still being dragged through and having to beg for an earlier court case is absolute disgrace, like. And you were saying to me that you know of others in your own immediate group that, that have never said a word, but they're in the same position. Oh yeah, there's women that are terminal or they're, they're re-diagnosed with cancer and stuff and there's some of the women that are passing away that no one knows about because they've decided to stay private which is their their decision, you know what I mean? As you know, I've been very vocal from day one but that's my that was my choice and it's their decision but like a few women are like they're getting sick again and they're dying, you know what I mean? Like I remember talking to Stephen Teep one time and he said to me, he said for every one of me that talks there are half a dozen that never will, but they're going through the same. Oh, 100%. Like, there's more women after being added onto the 221 group only the last few months. Really? That they got a call in saying that they were actually had mistakes made as well. I think a lot of people, Carol, would be shocked to hear that today because they think, OK, there was 221, but you're, you're telling me very clearly here, there are more now. Oh, there's more. Like, within the last few months, there's been more women and families of women that have been added to the group. And, like, I reckon that there might be some people that don't even want to be added to the group as well that could be uh, adding to the numbers. But not only that, PJ, I reckon there's a lot of people haven't even been notified. You know what I mean? Like, how five years later people are only being notified now, I just don't know. Like, Yeah, Emer was reminding me yesterday, Emer Tobin, of the words of Leo Varadkar a few years ago, where he said that the, the state would make it easy. It hasn't. <laughs> Sorry, I actually feel so disrespectful for laughing at that comment. But like, I feel sometimes Leo should be more like a stand-up comedian than he anything else because... What he says just makes me laugh because I'm sorry, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but like to other people that are going through this. But like, does he not realize like we're 
still suffer, you know what I mean? Not just me, just women that are actually terminal. Because I'm telling you, you know, PJ, I'm there every week. Am I going to get a call now for my solicitor with a date? Because I know I'm going to get a date this year, whether it's next year or not. I know I'll hear something this year. But the thing is, as I said, I can just put it to the back of my mind, which I do every day, try to not think of it and say, look, when I hear something, I'll hear something. But as I said to you a while ago, I have the time on my hands to do that. There's so many women out there that are probably daily thinking, oh, my God, am I going to hear something now? I only have weeks left. I've only months left. What am I, What about my family? Are they going to be looked after? Is it going to be? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he promised that no woman would have to do that. And look at us now. Look at that poor woman begging for an earlier court case and couldn't get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, like, it's just empty promises that he made and probably still, they'll, they'll come out now with another excuse but there's no excuse like you know what I mean mm. how are you doing I'm okay like I just out with the doctor there with another urinary infection I was very sick the last few days with it but in regards to everything else I'm doing okay it's just the mental side of it like as I I'm repeating myself now like I'm constantly in fear you know what I mean I waiting to go for a scan now on my pelvic scan and stuff like that because I do get conscious like you know any little pain or irregular kind of you know movements and that like I'm like oh my god it's a back you know what I mean and I know I'm not the only person out there thinking it you don't have to be sick to be worrying like that but it does it does cross my mind and I just feel like it's not even that like I, I went up to the gynecologist the other day. No, I never mention any names, which I won't start now. Okay. And um, I've said this, that I've gone to gynae appointments and it's very disheartening when you see all these pregnant people and whatever, you know, um, which is okay. Like, I'm not the only woman like that, you know, but I'd be quite upset as it is up at them appointments. So I was in there anyway and I was having a bad day anyway myself and um, I went in to see the doctor. And he goes, and how do you know you still have the menopause? And I was like, oh, I just started bawling, crying then. I said, because I have the symptoms and I'm still very much menopausal. I said, I was actually advised by my radiologist that no matter what, I'll be in the menopause until I'm in my 50s because it was medically induced. So I said, again, if you look at my file, you would see that, you know. And I just felt like I had to sit there and explain my case, you know, and explain, like, I left there actually walking out very, very abruptly and I wouldn't be a rude person anyway. You know, I hate confrontation. I know. But like, I was so upset. I was literally bawling. Like, I mean, a tug in my heart leaving and the nurse was like, are you okay? Do you want to take a minute? And I said, no, I just want to get out of here. And I I just, sorry, no. I'm not saying I deserve to be like getting this royalty treatment. Like, but you know, just give me the time and actually make me feel that you care that I'm there, you know. I know, Carol, and we've had conversations like this before, you and me. Sorry. Don't dare apologise. No, no, no. Don't dare apologise. I, I know I'm not the only one suffering from it, but it's just, I find it very hard to trust doctors as it I is. I know. I know, Carol. Don't be upsetting yourself. I, I, you've cried on this programme before, and, and it's it's terrible to hear you upset again. And it's a reminder to us all of what the families and are going yeah. through day to day. You know, it, it really is. It's it's just it's disheartening, like and Listen, go and relax and thank you as always for talking to me. Look, I just do want to send all my thoughts and my love to that family of the woman and like hopefully things will come to life for them and anyone else that's suffering just don't suffer alone. Carol, you mind yourself, girl. Thanks, PJ. Thanks again. Bye bye. Good talking to you. Uh, she's tough. 
She's tough, but she can't hold it up all the time. Nobody can. Thank you, Carol. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Tara got in touch as well. Tara, you've come through a court process fairly recently, and I think you're now in a position where you can talk about it for the first time, which is which is good. You're a client of Keno Carroll, who was also, of course, Vicky Phelan's solicitor and was the solicitor for this misfortunate woman who passed away in the last few days. We'll talk to Keen later. But you believe that people should be aware, Tara, of what it takes to get a case into court, let alone what you go through once you're inside there. Good morning. Yes, 100%. Um, a lot of what I think people don't realise is how much work goes in from both solicitors and clients like myself. Like, you don't just kind of go in and they take your case and that's it. There's a lot of medical reports need to be done. There's, a, like, so much work before you even get to trial, like extensive medical appointments, psychiatric evaluations. There's loads of stuff that I think people are really and truly unaware of. Like you have to get a load of stuff rechecked and that's difficult. Yeah, um, mine were actually rechecked by Dr. McKenna up in Belfast. He's um, a leading cytologist in Belfast. So he would have had to recheck both my smears and then write a report. And then my report would have been sent on to another doctor called Dr. Shepherd in the UK, where he then, you wait for him to agree or disagree mm. with Dr. McKenna before Kean will even put proceedings together. So, make this clear, two doctors checked. Two doctors, yes. All of your tests to come back to Kean and say, there's a case to be answered here. Yes. And, and then he brings it into court. How long does getting it into court take? Mine was two years. I'm sure there's other women may have, you know, got to court a little bit quicker. But mine did take two years. And what's it like when you get in there? It is very daunting. Um, I unfortunately was under the illusion due to an announcement from Leo Varadkar that, you know, every woman in Ireland that has been through this or unfortunately will go through this, there would be mediation offered. And there was none in my case Hmm. and in a lot more women's cases that, you know, people would think. So my case was due to be heard in December 2022, but it was adjourned till January of 2023. So I went up, I was three days in a witness box being cross-examined. And I suppose this is probably why we want to highlight things is the treatment of victims. And that this is what the women are. And like in one sense, I was extremely fortunate. Like I am now healthy, thank God. But there is other women that have a much bigger fight on their hands than fighting a justice system. They have, they're fighting for their life. And these women are also going through court proceedings as well and being cross-examined. And I suppose you just want to make people aware that it is not, certainly not as easy as you go into mediation and that's it. Like I spent three days, as I said, up on stand and my whole life, my whole medical history, everything except my smear tests were trashed out in front of an open court. Three days asking you what? Um, about 
different procedures I would have had over the years that would have absolutely nothing to do with my smear tests. Um, one of the main things for me was my daughter. I have two daughters, but in fact, in court, it seemed I only had one. Uh, she suffers mild sensory issues and she was very, very much a target of my cross-examination. Like after my hysterectomy, I would have gotten a lot of health anxiety, but it wasn't it wasn't due to the hysterectomy. It was actually when I realised the results of my previous smears weren't read correctly. And a lot of it was being blamed on my six-year-old daughter because of her sensory issues. Um, like it, it got so far to the point the court intervened on the third day and said, like, enough. Um, at that point, I... I was very blunt. I, while I told them I was not answering any more questions about my six-year-old daughter, that the whole cross-examination had been made about her. And at the end of it, she's an innocent child. She has minor sensory issues. It certainly didn't cause me depression or anxiety. So what I'm understanding here, Tara, and I spent a few years reporting from the courts myself, So I've seen cross-examination, I've seen tough cross-examination. But what you're telling me is part of your cross-examination was about your daughter's health, your daughter's well-being, not about yours. Yeah, majority of us was about my daughter, um, which really had no relevance to why we were in court at all. So how did you feel with these questions coming at you about something that had nothing to do with your with your cancer, I suppose I I was cross. I I end up very very cross as what the reason why we were there was never approached by the defendant's counsel, and um, it was very much skipped through as if it never happened. Wow! Yeah. And after three days in the box, you said you 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 wonder do criminals get treated that way? I don't think they would. Like, I felt like a criminal. Um, and for me, the wrongly word smears were traumatising enough. But little did I ever know that actually going to court to try and get justice, that was even more traumatising than what had happened. We were reminded yesterday of the, the words of Leo Varadkar when all of this started. They must ring very hollow. Oh, they do. I mean, I... A couple of weeks after I came out of court, my court actually case finished him on March the 3rd. A few weeks after that, it just wasn't sitting right. So I actually, in turn, I emailed Leo Vradkar, I emailed Michal Martin, I emailed Stephen Donnelly, all local TDs. I've yet to hear from Leo Vradkar. In fairness, Michal Martin did ring me. There's been nothing else from that. And I got an extremely generic email back off Stephen Donnelly. And the frightening part is, this is the person that is the Minister for Health. And what were you saying to them, Tara? Were you just outlining what you'd been through and saying, come on, lads, do better? Yeah, like, look, we all know the flaws that may have been in cervical check and things. And that, like, I never, like, that is not my aim. My aim was to try and help, like, women that unfortunately won't or aren't as lucky as what I am and didn't have an absolutely amazing consultant who did spot everything that was going on, that the victims are being traumatised in court. And, like, 
I can't even begin to imagine how hard it is for women that unfortunately are in end stages of life or terminal to be dealing with being treated like this on top of everything else. At the very minimum, there should be guidelines put in as to how victims are treated, how long they can go on the stand and at what point they go on stand. I was on stand at the start and it turns out there was never any need for me to have went through this cross-examination. So that was my main aim. And I, I just got a very generic email back from actually with Stephen Donnelly's private secretary kind of saying that they support, you know, the National Screening Service, which like that's that was never my issue. You, that was never what I emailed. That, that seems to be a thing with a lot of government statements and government emails. They answer every question except the one you asked that that that, that wouldn't surprise anybody. I suppose, Tara, you wouldn't for a second think or expect that people who go to court the other side must have a right to defend its case, but there's a gentler way to do it, correct? Look, everyone has the right to defend their case, but I, I do think these women are already up there. They're traumatised. Like, none of us have, like, I certainly didn't want a hysterectomy at 32. I, you know, I certainly didn't want to be sitting in court getting, you know, my whole life trashed out. Um, and I just think there there does need to be a kinder approach and it's not even a respectful approach. How are you now? How's your health? Thankfully all all as well. Um, it was actually more mentally. It, it most certainly took its toll on me mentally. I suppose it, like everyone else, you don't think it's going to happen to you. And then all of a sudden it does. Now, as I said, I had a wonderful consultant. I am one of the very lucky ones that... I did lose my womb, but on, on the grand scheme of things, when you look at all these other women that have lost their lives and husbands have lost wives, kids have lost mothers, like, I am lucky. I am, you know, I'm still here. And I suppose that's why I just felt that this had to be addressed in the sense of, I don't think anyone knows how badly any of us women have that have went to court have been treated Tara, thank you for talking to me and I wish you well. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Tara. That's fairly harrowing. Three days in a witness box and asking about every conceivable element of her medical history and fascinated, well, it's probably the wrong word, but focusing very much on, on her daughter. Wouldn't have seen how that was acceptable, but there you go. That's the courts for you. 0818 96 96 96. Your thoughts are welcome. And I'll speak with Keno Carroll, the solicitor, later this morning. Paolo Nettini seems to have given a great performance at Musgrave Park last night. And I'm told he played or he paid a fabulous tribute to Christy, Christy Dignam. He dedicated a song to him. That message came in from John Long. Hi, PJ. This is from David. And there's a lot of this coming in about Musgrave Park and, to be fair, about the Marquis too, although I think the Marquis are kind of winning this one. We were at Paolo Nettini last night at Musgrave Park. We had a great night, but they really need to sort things out with the queues. We were queuing for a drink at the main bar for nearly an hour. Everyone in the queue was complaining about it. The bar staff were lovely, but they need to put on more staff or else have more bars. It's really annoying when you're trying to enjoy the gig. That's from David. Yeah, the same seemed to happen in Slane on Saturday. My daughter was there with a few of her pals. 
and they'd all be of drinking age, but they like a point. And the, my daughter said to me, that in, in about, Jem said to me, in five or six hours in Slane, they had two drinks because that's all it was worth queuing up for. There was just no point in, in queuing for that. Uh, big queues for drinks at Musgrave Park. I remember that years ago when they had, God, they had an opera. They had a couple of opera concerts in Musgrave Park a few years ago as well. Il Divo were there, and, and uh, this is before the the MCD series of gigs, Il Divo were there and um, Catherine Jenkins performed there and then the opening season of of the Musgrave Park MCD gigs. There's always been a queue for drinks there. Always been a queue for drinks. It's it's always been a problem. Mind you, it's not that easy to get a drink during a rugby match there either because they kind of only have one bar. Thanks for that, David. 0818 uh, scooters. Ah, uh, don't get me going on scooters. I was in town yesterday. The scooters were using the bridges and the pedestrianised areas. Compared to a pedestrian, they travel at some speed and you wouldn't be thinking of them coming until the government changes the law. They are still illegal. And I'd like to see some enforcement because they're being used dangerously anyway. Why wait until something happens? All oh, the, the bane of my life, not this morning now, but yesterday morning as I was parking my car on Patrick's Hill and getting out and Patrick's Hill is a nightmare at the moment anyway with this messing around at the bottom that they're doing more progress so they tell us another pavement wide enough to play a match on but which is progress or so we're told but as I'm getting out of the car to walk across you expect to be watching the traffic coming down against you that's the least of your worries what's a real problem is the scooter coming up the other way (laughs) Yeah, where he's not supposed to be going the other way. He's not even supposed to be on the public road, these things. But they're there they're there all the time. And if you say a word, you're called, no, they're sustainable and they're energy efficient. Go in. Stick it up your Gansey. They're dangerous things. 0818 96 96 96. Now, here we go. We're still having complaints about Mormont Road. Mormont Road. I was on to you a few weeks ago about the streetlights being off at Mormont Road. They came to fix them. They were on for a few days. Same thing's been happening again now for the last couple of weeks. We've one light on all day and all night, and the rest are off now. Terrible carry-on going on now since the 27th of April. It's really dangerous. Thank you. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Oh, it's 96 FM. Now, O'Carroll is the solicitor who has represented a number of people uh, throughout the course of the cervical check uh, debacle, uh, most notably and most memorably Vicky Phelan. And Kean, I know you, you, by the end of it, you were more than just solicitor and client. Oh, he's gone there, lads. You might try and pull him back in for me. But they were more than solicitor and client by the time it was done. They were they were good pals. He also represents Tara, who we spoke to a few minutes ago. Tara is just done with her court process. And she was talking about the adversarial nature of what she'd been through and her three days, three days in the witness box, uh, making her case under cross-examination. That button is stuck for agreement, release it for me. Thank you. Uh, Kian, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Now, uh, first of all, I haven't had an opportunity to speak with you since, since Vicky passed. And I know that by the time she did, uh, you were good friends as well as everything else. So... 
So, so sorry for your loss there. But these cases, I never knew the kind of things that a woman could go through until I listened to Tara a few minutes ago. Oh, yes. Um, now, Tara's case was unusual, but that doesn't excuse it. Um, it was unusual in the vehemence um, and uh, awfulness of the cross-examination here. And I don't understand why it happened in that case. You just mentioned uh, Vicky. Um, there was almost no cross-examination of Vicky. And I know she found it an intrusive experience because we had to, our team had to ask her a lot of very personal questions in a courtroom in order to get the information out. And even that is now normally moderated by the court and we can hand in a lot of reports and try to avoid uh, a lot of the uh, awful intrusiveness of discussing matters of your sex life and your just bodily functions that are impaired as a result of damage from these injuries. Yeah. But in this case, that didn't happen. And um, I mean, in any case, it will be so extraordinary to see a civil case where the plaintiff is cross-examined into a third day. Um, and the nature of that cross-examination, the manner of uh, was uh, gratuitous and utterly, utterly unnecessary and unjustified in the circumstances. But you've heard that already from Tara. Yeah. I mean, every we, none of us would say for a moment that any party to a legal proceeding isn't entitled to make mm. their case and make it, make it cogently and stringently for themselves. But this seemed to go over the top. Um, I would be very, I'm very slow to criticise another party for, as you say, exercising their essential and constitutional right to, to, to defend themselves in a sense. I know that's, that's, yeah. uh, uh, that right is still there in a civil case as much as in a criminal case. However, um, there has to be a level of um, human in these things. And there should also be a higher degree of protection, I think, and, and intervention by the court in such a case. But, but it's the background to this, and forgive the background noise here, I'm on a train, but the, the background to all of this, of course, is, as Tara mentioned, um, uh, set against a promise yeah. from government, from a Taoiseach and a Taunashtan, that women would be not only dealt with in a non-adversarial way, but that they would be supported. And what Leo Varadkar said initially was that we will stand with the women against the laboratories. And what they've done, and in this case, what's very interesting is that you know, she was facing a senior counsel acting on behalf of the HSE through the State Claims Agency, who had originally been appointed by the laboratory, that was MedLab Pathology Limited in this case. So the state handed over the running of the case to MedLab. And I don't want to be overly dramatic, but it's a little bit like you know, extreme repression when the United States farmed out the torture of prisoners to other states who didn't have a human rights issue with it. The, yeah. state knows, the state knows that a private laboratory has a commercial interest in defending their case vigorously and sometimes viciously. Yeah. And they are handing over and then washing their hands of responsibility for this type of behaviour in litigation where women are injured as a result of their health service a health service and a screening service that the Supreme Court of Ireland has found to have been deficient to the extent that it's responsible for the deaths of tens of women and the maiming of hundreds. 
And yet they hand over responsibility to a private laboratory and then say nothing to do with us. Which is exactly what Leo Varadkar said wouldn't wouldn't happen. With, with regard to the most recent case, Kian, I know you were you were a solicitor on that one. I know that for for legal reasons, we're not naming the lady. She can't be named. Yes. But but I know every attempt seemed to be made to expedite that case before her inevitable passing. And well, the words the of Judge, the words of Judge Coffey yeah. when he said, "I'm at the edge of what the law can do," and pretty much calling for decency to prevail, and it didn't. Um, well, yes. I mean, everything was done to expedite the matter by my client and and her team. Yeah. And the court facilitates that as far as it can. And it's an extraordinary thing to see how quickly things can move when they have to. I mean, Vicky Phelan's case was progressed from the very start, from, from walking in our door to a conclusion in the forecourts within about 12 weeks. And other cases have been even shorter. But that's because somebody is dying. Here then, matters accelerated and her condition deteriorated rapidly in, in the final couple of days. And that's what brought about that application because we did have a trial date for next month based on the fact that, that she was in serious trouble. But things got just much more serious very quickly. Um, all I can say is that there was a mediation before she died and it was unsuccessful. We're not allowed to discuss what happened in those. But, but I wasn't... Um, I wasn't um, I wasn't happy, obviously, with the way matters concluded, but I think it's, there's something very, very wrong in that situation where, at least on the face of it, according to the law and according to Section 7 of the Civil Liability Act, the, the wrongdoer in an action like that profits from the person's death, the death that they have caused. And if it's established that they have caused that death, and I believe it will be, as it has in so many other of these cases, in fact, all cases brought to date, um, well, then it will be utterly wrong if that Section 7 ruling yeah. were allowed to stand. And, and, and we, we argue that the state and the laboratory should be prevented from relying on that section because it merely allows the wrongdoer to profit from yeah. the death that they have caused. Lastly, um, lastly, Kian, and, and, and briefly, the words, again, the words of Leo Baralka when all this started, they ring hollow and horrible now, don't they? Well, they do, but it was also echoed by Michal Martin, both, uh, both as Tornishta and Taoiseach. I mean, at, and, and when it came to the Cervical Czech Tribunal, he repeatedly said in the Dáil, in fact, on the day when the late Ruth Morrissey died and he came in to express condolences and he was challenged on the adversarial nature of the Cervical Czech Tribunal. And he, he, he took on Mary Lou MacDonald and said, no, I'm telling you, it is a non-adversarial tribunal. But I can tell you, that is completely wrong. He was just uninformed. I'm not suggesting he was misleading anybody, but he was completely uninformed and didn't realise that it was a highly um, adversarial forum. And these cases which are taking place in the High Court are, in my 30-year experience, these are the most adversarially conducted trials that I have ever seen. And in the context of very complicated litigation, that's just just wrong to people who are innocent victims of failings in our health service. Kian, thank you for being with me on the Opinion Line. Kian O'Carroll, solicitor for many of these women, including Tara, including
Vicky Phelan, including the unnamed woman whose case went through the courts, or rather didn't, last week. Kian, thank you. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. This is what you're listening for. As soon as you hear that banger, you get on the WhatsApp, text the word Ibiza and your name, 083 396 96. We'll call somebody back and try to put them in the draw between now and 11. A few bits and pieces to come back to from our first hour, which I will. Uh, we understand that cordon is still up down at Dawn Square that investigation Sockos I suppose seen a crime people still down there in the area preserved and watched by Gardaí still closed off following that stabbing last evening I want to take time out now to talk to a woman who if you look up her name if you google her name Noelle McCarthy New Zealand broadcaster you'll come up against a whole lot of stuff. Uh, stuff like this, which I, which I watched this morning, it's not a TED talk, it comes under a name. I'll ask her about it in a second. Stuff like this, you'll find in the search of Noelle McCarthy, New Zealand broadcaster. I know that it's not uncommon for teenagers to stop speaking to their mums, you know, for an hour or for a day or for a week, even. Mine lasted a little bit longer than that. Mine lasted a lot longer than that. I didn't speak to my mother again until I went to university. Yeah. And I know what you'll be thinking. That Noelle McCarthy. I bet she was a willful little girl. And you'd be right. I was. I was a willful little girl. And my mother, Mammy. Mammy has her own issues. She's (laughs) She's not the easiest person to deal with. I think the, um, the thing that sums this up, my mother is the only person I know of, to the best of my knowledge, who the Samaritans have hung up on. (laughs) Not making it up. (laughs) Noel, good morning to you. Good morning, TJ. My gosh, what a blast from the past. That was 2016 and I sat back and I watched it and I laughed. No, I laughed at what is a very sad story and and, and more on that in a while. But you're from Cork. You've been working in New Zealand since, since when? Gosh, when did I leave? I left Ireland in 2001 and um, went to New Zealand via Australia. So I guess I've been working professionally in New Zealand since about 2002 because I got into radio after being there about a year. 
So, yeah, too long, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you do podcasts now, your company called Bird of Paradise Productions. But let's talk about Mammy, as you refer to her. I think, I think it's a cork woman thing. Mammy will always be Mammy. Even women in their 60s whose mothers are still alive, they still call their mother Mammy. Your new book is called Grand, and it's a story of your life, her life, your relationship and part of why you fell out like you did when you were a teenager. What what prompted you? Yeah, She's gone now. And my, I'm sorry for your loss because it's very clear from the book and from listening to you talk about her and things like that, you loved her dearly for all her faults. You loved her dearly. Oh, I absolutely did. And, you know, for all my faults, she loved me too. And, you know, you've you've hit it right on the head, PJ. The book is a love story. You know, I didn't know that I was writing a love story. I didn't even know I was going to be writing about my mammy. It was a huge sort of surprise to me when really? I started writing. Yeah, because... You know, I thought I had lots of different stories that I thought I wanted to write. I thought I'd write a memoir about my own life, you know, that I was the most interesting person in my life. And imagine my surprise when I started writing to realize that actually it was my mother, Caroline. You know, she was she was just a gift of a character as as a first time writer, you know, for me to dive back into those memories. Everything with her was a party. You know, she was larger than life. We had photo shoots all over the city. She loved a photo. She had pink hair. You know, she she made everything an occasion. And I think when you're sort of looking around for your story as a first time writer, to have someone like that pop up on the page I couldn't ignore her. I Mm. had to keep going back to her as a character. And then I was very surprised to see that what I thought was a memoir about me was really, like you say, a memoir about the love between us, the complicated relationship we had and the sort of the bittersweetness of, of that love. But, you know, it's funny to listen to you playing that clip earlier because unbeknown to me, I'd been thinking about her you know, for years previously as a subject, because that was a piece I wrote for an audience in New Zealand. You know, I had to do a a kind of a, you stand up and you talk without notes for five minutes, you tell a story. And that was the story I decided to tell. So obviously she was very much in my, in my mind and in my heart for a long time. Oscar Wilde, I think it was, who said, all women eventually turn into their mothers. (laughs) And and in a way you did, didn't you? <laughs> tell me tell me about Carol. She she was, like you said, larger than life, great character, great fun, always stuck in everything. The the bane of taxi drivers because she never learned to drive. And I don't think you did either. Um but she was she was a chronic. I, I finally hang on, I'll have to correct you there. I finally got my oh, license. Oh did you? PJ. I did at the tender age of forty-three. <laughs> and it was probably the most terrifying thing, the single most terrifying thing I've ever had to do in my life. I learned to drive in a rural part of New Zealand where the only lane changes you can do are passing lanes in front of logging trucks. Lovely. So getting out of that with my hair on was was a whole other thing. Oh, but yeah, my mum my mum was, you know 
know, she was a, she was a, an amazing person. She was a deeply charismatic woman. I've said that, you know, and she was also someone who'd had difficulties in her life. You know, mm. she had had hard times and it was really only as I grew up and as I moved away and went to New Zealand and had the benefit of time and distance that I realized the impact of her challenge. Yeah. on her life and also of course how it impacted me in in my life you know as her daughter and the book is very much about exploring the idea of legacy you know those mm. things that we pass down especially as mothers and daughters to our um to our children she she was an alcoholic and you unfortunately inherited that from her didn't you well, I don't call her that because she never called herself that, PJ. Okay. And I think that's a really important difference okay. between both of us. Okay. Do you know, for me, like, there's so much freedom in being able to name myself as an alcoholic, you know, being able to accept that. And that was something that came to me over time and, you know, in my own way. But it, my mother's story was different, you know, and her experience of that was different. Her drinking caused a lot of conflict between me and her, you know, and that was something that very much kind of defined my teenage years, my young adult years. I mean, I say in the in the clip that you used, you know, we stopped talking and we stopped talking for a very long time. And it's quite difficult, actually, to stop talking when you live in the same house. You know, we used to, um, we got quite involved in it we used to pass very long very detailed notes to each other so like funnily enough we were still in communication but we did yeah we we had a difficult relationship and for me that was a result of her drinking and and the tension and the stress that came with that but then later on of course in my life like you say that was something I had to um you know I had to face myself Mm. and there was a you know, there was such an irony for me. It was, you know, I think in the book I talk about it as like a cosmic irony. I yeah. was thinking to myself, how did I get here? How's this happening? Yeah. And I think that's a common story for many people, for many of us who've had our struggles with drink. You know, you don't necessarily think it'll happen to you. My you compliments know, on your honesty. Prepared. With regards to it in the book, my compliments on your honesty. But one thing that I also Thank want you. to compliment, you are telling this story of your mom and of you with incredible honesty. And there's so much, like you said, she had had such tough things happen in her life and whatever. It's very funny. <laughs> I'm so and, glad And the darkest that. days of her drinking, you say she never called herself an alcoholic, so therefore I won't use the word again. Her, the darkest times of her drinking and your dark times as an alcoholic. How did you write them? in a way that had me throwing my head back laughing. (laughs) I'm so glad you say that. I mean, look, my favourite writers make you laugh, even when they're making you cry, don't they? You know, I'm that generation of women. We grew up with Marion Keys. You know, she Mm. set the bar, I think. You read something like Rachel's Holiday, which is, you know, a story about addiction and a story about some very dark things. But at the same time, you're falling around the place laughing because she's so funny. You know, she's the sort of, for me, she was the creator of the Irish Mammy. You know, this character that just never changes no matter where you put her. And I felt, you know, when when I was coming to write this book, PJ, I wanted it to be entertaining. You know, because my mother, I want 
wanted to sort of do her justice. She was very, very funny. You know, she could wither you with a one-liner. She mm. could sum up a situation in a handful of words. You know, that was her gift. And and not to be too general about it, but I kind of think it's a court gift. Yeah. You know, I think there's that facility with language. Here. Oh, listen, if you, were, so if you were to make a film out of this, Maggie Smith would play her. You know, I mean, really, like it was... Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> there was a touch of there was a touch of the dowager the dowager about her from Downton you know the withering one liner she was she was full of them the book starts with you coming home to be with her yeah. at her deathbed yeah that's right she died at the beginning of 2022 PJ or sorry 2020 mm. and you know it was and I'm sure there's lots of people listening who might have had a similar situation in their lives and in their families but you know these were the the deaths and the losses at the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, I think we were so lucky. My mom's was one of the last funerals that was able to sort of be attended in the city, you know, like with full attendance. There were no restrictions. And it was a very strange time for me because, you know, I got the call and, and I decided to come home. I had a, a, a young child, a very young girl at the time in New Zealand, and I decided to come alone. And then, of course, you know, you're there and things are, the news was coming out of Italy, you know, the case numbers were rising. And there was just that sense of, oh, God, like, what what do I do, you know? And in the end, I mean, I won't spoil the book, but in the end, I had to make a decision to go when I did. And that meant... You know, I I, I was one of th- that generation who, you know, watched a watched a funeral on Zoom, yeah. had to watch a live stream. And and I think, again, that's a shared experience. I know that when the book came out in New Zealand, there were people there who said that happened to me, too, because it's your nightmare as an immigrant, really, you know, that that you will get the phone call and that you will have to you know, you will have to um, go back. I'm part of a Facebook group. I don't know if you know about it. It's called Irish Mammies on Facebook. Okay. And, um, you know, they're mammies from all over the world and they call themselves Irish Mammies and they're Irish daughters as well. And it's it's one of the topics that comes up. Yeah. You if know, it, will you be it, ready? If it had been only a few weeks maybe later, you wouldn't have gotten yeah, that's back. that's right. I couldn't have gotten back. Do you think, think. about and that? I, do, you, do, you, do you contemplate that? I do. I do. I absolutely do. Because again, you know, not wanting to give away too much about what happens in the book, but the gift of being able to come back to Cork and to have that time with my mother and and my family, you know, was profound. Like it was just, I was so lucky. And I do think about people who, you know, haven't been able to do that because, you know, a a lot of this book is about living between Ireland and New Zealand and kind of what that's like, Mm. because home is still home. You know, as an immigrant, you just have two homes. You're you're very lucky in one sense, but there are times in your life when you have to make these these decisions, and and you know you don't get any warning really. Yeah, and New Zealand in in the pandemic, and God, we we looked we looked at it from here, and we won't marvelled at what they were doing. But like you said, if it was a few weeks later, you wouldn't have been able to get here, and if it was a few weeks later, if you were here, you mightn't have been able to get back. I think my mum's funeral was maybe less than a week before the complete lockdown in New Zealand. So, you know, we went into lockdown a few days later and it was a very strange, you know, I think it was a strange time for everyone all over the world. But I felt like I was in a bubble, 
you know, and, and it, you know, it had a wonderful consequence for me because that's when I wrote a lot of this book, you know, while New Zealand was locked down. And it was an amazing thing to be able to do, you know, to go out my little walk every day because you couldn't go very far, same as in Ireland, you know, and you couldn't see anyone. But I was able to sort of to write. So in my head, I was in Cork a lot of the time, you know, mm-hmm. which is a great freedom that that I wasn't expecting to have. Well, in your life as a broadcaster, you've probably skim read a thousand books and gone back a second time to half of them, uh, if 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 even that. I, I look forward to going back a second time to this, having gone through it, because and I would be a part, and all my my listeners know this. I I love fiction. I don't read a lot of nonfiction, and I, I I certainly don't read a lot of biography or memoir. I love my fiction and my crime fiction in particular. This reads like a novel. You forget it's somebody's real story. And that's because you write it so well. Thank you so much. That's the highest praise. I love crime. I love Tana French. You know, I love a story that sort of whips along. And it was really important to me to, you know, to give people an experience that would be entertaining and that you'd you'd sort of just get them to the next page. You know, I just wanted something that would be a page turner. So thank you so much for saying that. It is that. It is that. And people can find your your podcasts. I I must look up your interview with the Dalai Lama. I must find that. (laughs) It was his birthday. I was very lucky to talk to him on his birthday. Actually, it's quite short, PJ. You don't get a lot of time. No, I don't think I don't think he says much anyway, does he? No, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't need to. <laughs> Listen, I, I, continue. I, I wish you the greatest of success with this. If if you ever do get to make it into a film, I know Maggie Smith is pushing on a bit now, but I think she'd be fantastic <laughs> to play Mammy. Where can we buy it? Is it online or is it in Waterstones? Where is it? I think it's everywhere today. Today, you're the first interview I've done on the publication day in Ireland. So it's it's so special to talk to 96FM because obviously my whole family are listeners. But I think it's on Patrick Street uh, in all the bookshops at the moment, in Dubray and in Waterstones and in Eason's. Have I missed any? Not on Patrick Street, you haven't any. Where all good books <laughs> are sold. Noelle, congratulations on, on the book. And, do you know, condolences on the loss of Mammy too. Thank you so much. Thank you. We miss her every day. Take care. That's Noelle McCarthy uh, from Cork, broadcaster, successful broadcaster in New Zealand and writer of a new book that's just called Grand. And that's how it is. Grand? I was wondering, why would you call a book Grand? Read it. you find out why. Thank you so much, Noelle, and good luck. 0818 96 96 96. Wherever you buy your books. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox96FM. Shirley wants to talk to me about Musgrave Park and the concert there. Give me a minute, Shirley. You'll be on the radio very, very quickly, but I want to mention the Everyman because I forgot to do it after the news. They're with us all this week. Tickets and dinner to give away to mark the launch of their summer season with some great shows. Potted Potter, Buffy Revamped, Tom Crean and Bridesmaids. And today I have two tickets to Bridesmaids and a pre-show meal for you at Moody Café Vin. Moody Café Vin. Before the, group, before the show and then the show. Bridesmaids at the Everyman. Tell me who this is. I know no, that not, it's... Not, 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 not that. Uh, who is this? Yes. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. All right. Here we go. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Who is that? It's a tough one. 
And it's a very tough one, very short one. All of two seconds. His name and yours, please. 083 396 Right, Shirley, you live near Musgrave Park, yeah? Hi, PJ, yes. I live exactly across the road from the gates of Musgrave Park. Okay. And, and as a local resident, how is it during this concert season? Fantastic. I have to commend Ian and Musgrave Park. They're doing a great job. And especially Connor Brett and Eddie with MCD. I couldn't find fault with them, PJ. They're absolutely brilliant. Mm. Because being there in the heart of a residential area, I mean, as opposed to the Marquis, which is down the Docklands and it's a fair distance away from many houses, you're right in the middle of a residential area. That could potentially be a nightmare. Well, it can be, but they're not. They're absolutely brilliant and so professional. I was listening to that man there in Obo getting a drink, you know, at the bar. Yeah. And I was just thinking to myself, is there a method in that madness? Because Ian over in Musgrave Park, it's his biggest nightmare, I believe putting on the concerts. But if there was too many bars inside in Musgrave Park, you know yourself there's people drink responsibly and there's people drink irresponsibly. Now, if it was easier to get a drink, people are going to drink more and they're going to come out in a worse state than they went in. Do you know what, Shirley? On a hot summer's evening, that thought hadn't actually occurred to me. Yeah, you know. And we have a fantastic bar there at the corner with the Tory top. Yeah. We have Leo down there. He has Heineken supporting him. There's plenty of area for people to gather before the concert. Yeah. And when they come out, they're waiting for them to come out. They want the business. And there's loads of bars in Turner's Cross as well. So mm. I know how frustrating it is because I was at Beyonce myself with my daughter a couple of weeks ago in London. And there were 62,000 people at that concert. And there was lots of bars in there, but we still had to queue. And, you know, you go to these things for the artists. And it, it's, I know it's an inconvenience if you can't get a drink for a couple of hours. But we had one glass of wine and we didn't bother going back for another one. Yeah. We went back to our hotel and we had a drink later and we had talked about the concert. So you, you, know? so you don't have a whole lot of sympathy for, for David who was complaining about the queues? Well, I do, because my own daughter and her husband were over there and she was giving out. But I said, Nicola, it's like this. If the drink is readily available and more available, people are going to drink more. I know there's people who go up and they stack up. They bring these little carriers and they have the pints. Yeah. But over the years with Musgrave Park, when they first started, we had a lot of tea. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. ...problems there. Mm-hmm. And it took MCD and Ian and Musgrave Park a long time to get it right. But they have it absolutely perfect now. And they can have as many concerts as they like. We love them. We love sitting in the garden and listening to them. Oh, yeah, Chris, you get free. <laughs> you get to hear everything for free. <laughs> oh, free, free. And how how was Paolo Lutini? He was fantastic. Now, I wouldn't know much about Paolo Lutini, mm. but he was fantastic. And I'm listening to them all, and we're having great fun. Good, good. Well, you that's know? nice to hear. That's nice to hear. So, and people are lovely, but you know yourself, drink makes people rowdy. And if it's too freely available to them when they're in there, of course, you're having a great time. I'd have loved another glass of wine at Beyonce, but I just couldn't be bothered. Yeah. I went to see Beyonce. That man went last night to see Paolo Lutini. And I have to say, I can't forward. I won't have a word said against them because maybe there's a method in that madness. Maybe in part of their plan, they're saying, look, if we had too many bars, people will drink more and then we'll have trouble outside when they come out. Shirley, you're on the ball. You're thinking straight. Thank you. Uh, Shirley lives near Musgrave Park. David was given out about having to queue up. And Shirley said, well, you know what? If you could get your hands on too much drink, that mightn't work out too handy either. Thank you, Shirley. 0818 96 96 96. People were annoyed queuing for over an hour. But listen to Shirley's logic. Um, it's actually hard to argue with it. I know who this is from. The toilet's at Fitzgerald's Park are out of order for over three weeks now. People are having to urinate in the bushes, which is crazy. It's terrible for the elderly or for small kids. Surely our largest city park could have a functioning toilet. From what I heard, they can't fix it for some reason. That's simply not good enough. We had this, didn't this come in last week, lads? Uh, That the toilets in Fitzgerald's Park haven't worked for a while now. And if you're very nice to them in the cafe... They'll let you in, but you shouldn't have to do that. Surely no public toilet could be sorted. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. It's a special song for today. Win your way to a week in Ibiza. Week in Ibiza. <laughs> Just watch me dance. Only on Corks ninety six FM. Yeah, we're sending you and a friend to Ibiza in September. For the party holiday of a lifetime You'll stay seven nights at the Wiki Woo Hotel You'll go to see David Guetta At Ushaya Joel Corey at Ibiza Rocks And you'll be there for the Ocean Beach Pool Party We'll also send you to Cafe Mambo And you'll have dinner and watch the sun go down One of the most famous sunsets on the planet We'll fly you there, fly you back And we'll give you money to spend So we will Oh, cool. Let's see if we can't send someone else into the draw. Elaine Kelleher, where are you, girl? Hi, CJ. I'm in Mill Street. Mill Street. Yes. Did you have a big club scene now in Mill Street? Um, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> do they still do the disco down in Quincy Hall, like? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being there 
during during Eurovision and a few more festivals, Declan Ernie in a tent. It's not quite a beat there, but hey, listen, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you been? No, I've never been to Bifa. Yeah, definitely on the bucket list. No, you you call it Bifa. A Bifa. Uh, <laughs> it's on the bucket list, is it? Yeah. Who, who would you take with you? Um, that'd be a difficult one. Um, probably my husband. Yeah, yeah. What's his name? Uh, Joseph. And how long is he on the scene? Uh, since. 2017. I'd say you'd have to take him, all right, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, you know yeah. what? <laughs> you're not there yet, Brilliant. but you're in the draw. How'll that do him? Brilliant. Oh, it's great. Yeah, so delighted. There you go. From from Met, Downstown Metropolitan Buzz of Mill Street <laughs> <laughs> to, San Anto- to San Antonio to yes. like be going to another planet, Elaine. I know. Fingers crossed now. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Well, hopefully you'll be the ones going party party in September. Uh, that's El- El- Cheers. You're our latest qualifier. That's Elaine Kelleher from Mill Street. Simon will have another qualifier this afternoon and Lorraine. And we'll do more tomorrow. She'll be back with you there, guys, in case you need us. You're listening out for that song all day today. This is the song. Next time you hear it, text the word Ibiza and your name 0833 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Do you know, when you don't understand something, as I think maybe a month or six weeks ago, many of us didn't understand the life of a retained firefighter, when you learn more about it, you want to find out even more still. Uh, Gerald Donovan is a retained fireman in Bantry. Uh, it looks now as if all of the retained firefighters, it is going to be all out strike from next week. The minister responsible, Dara O'Brien, who's also responsible for the housing minister, for the housing ministry, he said this week in the Dáil, Jarrah, correctly, he said that making special arrangements for retained firefighters would unravel the National Public Service pay policy. So he kind of said, well, we understand it's tough for you, but there's nothing we can do. Morning. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Look, um, I suppose... Just to reiterate that, was that we have a Taoiseach who said during the week that the Dáil um, understands that the terms and conditions for the retained fire service must be improved. We have a Tarnished Michal Martin, who is hopeful of a timely resolution. And we have Minister Dara O'Brien, who is full of promises. But as of yet, there's nothing been, there's been no pin put to paper. And, um, you know, we're left in a position where we're out on picket lines. We're having rolling strikes. 50% of stations closed. And, you know, we we feel forced into it. Our hands are tied. You know, our backs are up against the wall. We just want this to get resolved as quickly as possible. And we need someone to come back to the negotiating table and actually sit down and put down pin to paper on what the terms and conditions are going to be. Yeah. I'm just seeing a breaking development here from SIP2 this morning. SIP2 is the union, of course. They say that retained firefighters will begin to resign from the beginning of next week. That's that's fairly strong action, Ger. Yeah, um, to be honest, I'm actually only mulling that over now myself. I just got the message in. Um, I just see it. And I, I look, that's really how strongly 
the retained fire service feel about this issue. This isn't just something that's happened overnight. This has been years and years in the making. Um, we finally got the coin report published in January, and we thought that to be a move on this to improve the situations in the stations. We we literally we have retention and um, we have a recruitment and retention crisis. We can't get lads in. We held open nights and hardly anyone turned up. You know, when people actually learn what's involved, how much commitment is needed, and what you actually get out of it at the end of the day, you know, it's not worth it to people when there is employment out there. Okay, you on call as we speak? Yes. So if your beeper goes off, now, you're well, gone. Well, we're on. We're on strike. I still have my beeper on me. Um, now we're going to attend life-threatening incidents. Now you'll have to bear in mind we're in a. a rural location in West Cork. Some of our our um, houses in our fire ground are 19 miles away. Do you know, the nearest station would be Skibbereen, Skull, Domanway, Castown Bear. So, like, it's a sparse area and we're covering a huge le- geographical location. So, do you know, life-threatening incidents at the moment, we're still having to attend. Um, all other incidents, we're having to check, see what, what they are before going out, there is there is uh, contingencies in place to allow another brigade into our area to mm. take over at these incidents. If something doesn't happen, what happens next Tuesday? Yeah, like, we're, we're still learning what an all-out strike actually means for us, and there is a meeting with management today. Uh, SIP2 have just literally sent in that message to me. I was reading it just before I came on air about mass resignations. Um, and, like, look, that is the reality. There, there is firefighters around the country that feel so, so strongly on this issue that, look, if it's not going to be resolved, this is the only way of forcing government's hand. Mm. You wonder, will you? I was looking at the figures because a lot of people, we've ta- heard so much about a, an annual retainer of 8,500 and I think after experience that does go up a bit. But the, the, the largest retainer is 11,500. But looking at the the rates, if you're called out, say you're called out on a Saturday night and you spend yes. three hours out away from home, away from family, and three hours might be conservative. That's worth, on the rates I could find this morning, that's worth about €176 Euro before tax to you. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, look, for that, we have to be around and be available. You have to take into account that we must live and work within 2.5 miles uh, or 2.5 kilometers even of our fire station. If you look at rental pressure zones and property prices within areas uh, in the centre of towns where all fire stations are located, they're the highest prices that you can get anywhere. When I started and I joined the fire brigade 15 years ago, I was renting a house in Bentry for 500 euros a month. If you could find a house in Bentry, a three-bedroom house in Bentry to suit a family, for less than twelve hundred euros a month within two point five kilometers of a station, you know, you'd be you'd be very lucky. Um the the truth about it is if you try to recruit people, they will not be able to afford to to work in a fire station. They won't get a mortgage. Like the only guaranteed pay that we get is the retainer. If you go to the bank manager in the morning, the only figure that they'll actually accept is the eight and a half thousand retainer. It doesn't matter if you're getting called out or you're sent on training courses. You know, um, there is supplementary money there, but they don't count it. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 less it's, it's less than the dole, Ger. Yeah, you know, look, it's worth Considerably out, less than the dole. 
yeah, I think I think it's working out at about one euro an hour for the retainer. Do you know to make that commitment and to to stay around? Do you know? Look, there's plenty of weekends my young fella is playing a football match. Um, he could be playing out of town. I can't go and attend the football match. Uh, communions, weddings, funerals. Do you know? You you give up all these these things. Was it? No, I love the fire brigade. I've been in it 15 years. I love the camaraderie. I love all the crew. Was it? I've learned a lot. I've experienced a lot through it. Um, you know, it's it's something I feel strongly about. I I think nationwide, was it? Everyone's the same in the same boat. We 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 feel that we have a social moral obligation to the people of the country um, to go out and do our duty. But government are restricting us, and you know it's taken a lot to get to this point, PJ. Sure. This didn't happen overnight. No, no. Let's make it very brass tacks. So you get a, a, an invitation in the door at home there, a, yeah. an old friend from school, and you haven't seen him in a long time, and he's getting married in, we'll say, November. And he'd love you to be there with your missus and celebrate the day with him. How much planning goes into you getting to that wedding? And maybe if you do, I don't know whether you do or not, but maybe if you do, being able to take a point. Um, I do, but like like that now, it's very rare. Um, trying to get out to any occasion like this. Look, it does happen. We do have um, discretionary allowances from our station officer um, for for some special occasions. But it means getting it means getting permission from not just the station officer, every one of the other crew that are around. But our problem at the moment is we don't have the staff to allow people to go out. That's so, right. you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're a station in Bantry. We're supposed to be a 10-man station. And, you know, we're, we're trained on the basis of a full crew. You know, the station officer has to allow his discretion to let anyone out, and it doesn't happen that often. We've been seven since January. Before that, we've been down to nine. Um, we were actually down to nine with five years. Like a lot of problems that happen behind behind closed doors inside the stations. There's one HR issue that I can't talk about that's happening in Bentry. Okay. But it's, it's it's still going on five years to the month today. When was the last time you, you know, were able to do something as ordinary as any dad loves to do? Go watch your son play football and not worry about the beeper. When was the last time you were able to do that? Do you know... Um, it is hard to think of it. Do you know, look, we try... You, you get used to doing things locally. You get used to, you know, enjoying yourself. You go down to the local slip for a swim. Um, you, you you work local. You meet people out local. Um, you know, watch, watching the kids. I got one of those um, little swimming pools there last year, the, the big swimming pools, and we set it up in the garden because, look, we just don't... We don't get the opportunity to go off to Barley Cove all the time. My wife won't face into it because, look, it's too much work with the three kids on her own. And, like, that's the other side of it, PJ, is our wives, our kids, our, our mothers, our fathers, our neighbours, they're all on call for us, do you know? Yeah. They're as much part of the fire brigade as we are. Um, like, uh, I don't know, do they get much of a mention a lot of the time because they're not officially employed by them. But without, without our wives and partners and friends and neighbours, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. You know, there's been plenty of time where I've been at a training and I've had to tell the coach I'm called out and to 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 let him take over. I'd ring someone to collect Jamie, uh, the young fella, and you know, there's, there's times like that. You're you're 
you, you just have to drop things and go. I've been at my children's birthday parties, my, my daughter's first birthday party. Um, she, she was one in April. April is, um, April is a busy time for us down West Cork. It's known as gorse season down here. The, fi- the fires be burning across the hills and the forestries. And we could be out, you know, all day, all week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's, there's times like that that you just don't get back. But we do it because we, we actually love what we do. You have a very understanding family. Yeah, you have to. Um, you couldn't possibly do the job without, you know, your wife being as committed to the fire brigade as you are. That says something. Leave it there with you, Ger. Thank you very much. That's Ger O'Donovan, who's a retained fireman in Bantry, and thank you for everything that you do down there. I want to go straight to Will Crowley. He is the union representative here for Sipto in Cork for the firefighters. This news that's breaking now, Will, that people will start to resign en masse from next Tuesday. What can you tell me? Good morning. Um, I'm only getting it uh, as you're getting it. Good morning. Um, uh, firstly, I'd just like to echo what you said to Jor and thank him and all all my colleagues in the retained service. Without them, um, to be honest, we'd be under ferocious pressure even in, in Cork City. Um, I can... I'll be honest, Joe, I can understand exactly why they're taking the action they're taking. Um, if it's falling on deaf ears, this... This didn't come out of the blue. This has been building and building and building for many, many years. Mm. Um, it seems to be falling on deaf ears, their their position. And I suppose a lot of them feel they have to do something. I think a lot of... I, I certainly wouldn't have known much about the lot of a retained firefighter maybe four or six weeks ago when I started looking more deeply into this story. I'm I'm horrified at the way people have to live because of the difficult I mean there's there's no reason why for example Jar down there shouldn't be able to say right I have a friend's wedding in October I will not be around for that weekend he can't there's no one to cover him absolutely like I put it this way if you worked for a company if you went into any any court in the land and you said would we'll say you're working for a radio station and you said the radio station I work for will sack me if I'm not available to attend the studio within five minutes, if I'm more than three kilometres away from the studio at any stage, they'll sack me. The court would take that radio station and they'd put them through the ringer and you'd come out the gap with thousands. Yeah. And these guys, guys and, and girls have been doing this job for years. Nobody wants to go into it. They know, the likes of Jor knows, if he leaves... His station is off the run. If any of his crew leaves, their station will go off the run because they don't have the numbers. And it's the same up and down the country. What do you think is going on here? Darrow O'Brien said during the week, well, Leo Varadkar pointed out that there's room for compromise and said there has to be something done. But Darrow O'Brien stands up and said, if we do the kind of deal that the retained firefighters are looking for, it would completely unravel the National Public Service pay policy. At a time, Will, when we have money up the wazoo from a surplus? Well, I, it's it's very, very simple. I can understand them making the argument that will say, if I give a raise to uh, A, then B will come in and say, I want a raise too. And we all problem, remember benchmarking, yeah. Exactly. And the problem is, everything's connected to everything else. So, the hourly rate that I'm paid is probably the same as 
the hourly rate that some uh, craft worker is paid in another area of the public sector, we'll say. So if I get a raise on my hourly rate, that person can go in and make a claim and say, well, he got it, so I should get it as well. Retained firefighters are the only people in the country being paid a retainer. Nobody else is being paid it. So fair enough, park an hourly rate. But the retainer is a space that they can do whatever they want with. And it only applies to retained firefighters. It doesn't apply to uh, administrative staff in retained fire brigades. So we'll say Cork County have a fire brigade. They're not all retained firefighters. There's chiefs and assistant chiefs and senior fire officers and fire prevention and admin staff doing wages and stuff like that. So they could tackle just the retainer for these people. And it will not affect public pay policy in any way, shape or form. If and something doesn't happen between now and next Tuesday, Will, what are we facing, briefly? Well, I, I'll tell you exactly what we're facing in Cork City. And I know it's, it's parochial and it's, it's kind of parish pump politics to a certain extent. But we rely on these people to come in and help us out. As you know, we're down. So we're relying on Mallow, Carrigaline, Middleton, Cove, Bandon, uh, McCroom to help us out. If they are not there, where, where do we where do we go for help? Like you can't you can you can say oh look we'll 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 call out the armies. We all know the armies on their knees numbers wise again from a recruitment and retention crisis, and so there's 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 nobody there to to come and help. So when you call the fire brigade to help you, there's nobody there to help us. Right, well. Leave it there. We'll follow this one with interest. 0818 96 96 96. The Will Crowley. Um, I don't know how many people that I have spoken to in my own circle since we started to cover this story a few weeks ago. Uh, when you tell them and when they read the, the lot of a retained fireman, what would you do that for? What on earth would you do that for? 0818-96-96-96. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Cork Simon. Do you want to leave a legacy to the city you love? Find out more about leaving a gift in your will at corksimon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083. 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96FM. Nice, nice call from Shirley in the past hour. She's a resident there near Musgrave Park and she was responding to David. David was at Paolo Natini last night. Fantastic gig, he said, and all of that. But he was cribbing about the length of time it took to queue up for a drink. And Shirley was saying, well, maybe there's a method in that madness. Maybe it's down to good management of the venue. That, you know, MCD don't want people getting too leery in the course of the concert so that when they come out, they go quietly home or to wherever they happen to be going to continue their evening 
without and they are going through a residential area so maybe it's you know the promoters taking care of the community that if you can't get a drink too handy you won't drink too much inside which is a good way of looking at it another caller here says I'm a resident around the corner from Musgrave Park I don't think there should be any drink at all served at concerts do you want there to be a riot <laughs> seriously that but it's a thought 0818 96 96 96 to firefighters yet again PJ this government are putting people's lives at risk and the safety of the firefighters people should remember this at the next election there's that take and then there's this one Carlos says my own father was a firefighter I know it's a hard job but I would point out these retained firefighters have a second income and I hate to say it but times are tough we need a bit more resilience in families and the will to cut back sometimes. I think what's been made as a clear point by so many of the retained fighters I've spoken to now is it's almost impossible to maintain a second job unless you are self-employed or you know, you're in a position where your boss is understanding enough to let you go. I mean, can you imagine me trying to be a retained firefighter doing this job? Beeper goes off, I'm gone. You know, Emer, can you come in here and put your buttons? You can't do it. I could not be a retained firefighter with this job. And there's many other jobs. You can't walk off a sales counter in 2023 and say, lads, I've got to go. Uh, I, I'm fighting a fire. It's not realistic. There was a time when it was realistic that your retained firefighter was a pillar of the local community and had a job in the corner shop or in the garage or wherever they worked. Or might even have been, you know, the local accountant or solicitor or whatever. And they were a retained firefighter and the beep went and away they went. And it was grand and easy. Not anymore, it isn't. And that seems to be part of the problem. You are almost unemployable. If you're in a job now that your boss is comfortable enough with you being a retained firefighter, that, that's all well and good. But supposing someone takes over your company or supposing you, you the company closes down, you move on. You're, you're unemployable by a lot of people because you are a retained firefighter. We can't be letting you walk off the shop floor every whenever the beeper goes off. It's, it's not practical in, in 2023. But I do take your point. Um, many of them have a second income but and times are tough. But the terms and conditions are rough too. I'm sorry now, but not being able to go to your friend's wedding or not being able to go and watch your, your son play football or to always be able to get into the car and run. Another man told me last week, that he can go and watch his son play a hurling match provided he brings the car around to the other side and he stands in such a way to watch the match that his beeper goes off he didn't straight to the car and straight down to the station and he can only do that if he's within 2.5 kilometres it's a tough old life it's a tough old number 0818 96 96 96 the latest we heard if we have any more is that uh, SIP2 members will begin to resign en masse from the retained fire service next week if it is a thing that a better deal isn't put on the table. We'll follow that one over the next few days. Now, Damien Sreenan, I tried this this morning with my car and it wouldn't work. I don't think it works for every car, but it works for a lot of them. Morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You put up this video. So, did you discover this by accident? The key fob on your car... You held, you held it yes, down for so a bit longer. 
a bit longer and all the windows opened. So if you, if you, <laughs> I'm about to make, well, maybe not your life, but maybe the life of some listeners life easier and avoid fights because I don't know how many times uh, late at night I had to go out and someone left the window down and you have to, oh, have to put on the shoes and go out and start the car and turn up, put up the window. But you don't have to do that. Well, some cars. Um, so if you keep your finger <laughs> on the open button when your car is locked, all the windows go down. Now, I don't know how that's going to help you, but the most and important... after thing how is long will this happen? Oh, just a few seconds. Just keep your finger on the open button. Um, about five seconds, and all the windows go down in your car. But if your windows are down and your car is locked and you keep your finger on the lock button, all the windows go up. No more having to go out in the middle of the night, in the rain, start your car and put up the windows. It doesn't have work on all cars, but it works on most cars. And I, the feedback, like the feedback we got was, you know, people knew this already, uh, and we should read the manual. Um, but oh, really? look, if you're like me, manuals. I, I've never read a manual in my life. I prefer to bring something back and pretend it's faulty than than yeah. read a manual. Um, what, so, what, yeah, what, you, what, what make of car do you drive, Damien? I've uh, hi on the Tucson. All right, because people is saying, saying it's like, Volkswagen and Skoda. Yeah. No, there's people saying, uh, look, I put it up. It was just, well, I, I I couldn't function for the day after it because I was amazed. <laughs> um, so, like, I just had to share it. Now, the feedback I got was a lot of people were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I never knew that. And some people said they knew. And it actually, oh, their, their Corsa, their, their 12 Corsa works on that. So it does work. And, but then someone said they had a 2022 Volkswagen Polo and it didn't work. Yeah. I told them bring it back. <laughs> Bring it back, Volkswagen. Up there again. Is it meant to so, be? Yeah, it, and have you had a look into it? Is it meant to be a kind of an emergency feature? I don't know. I just I I, I see it as an anti-fight um, feature because I know now. I mean, I've given out to my wife, my kids, my friends for leaving windows open. You know, there's nothing worse. This is this is amazing. It's an amazing. It's amazing. It was life changing for me. Um, <laughs> there isn't much going on in your life, Damien. If that's no, not really. And I, I have another. I have another one actually. Go on. So, <laughs> have you ever driven to a petrol station, and you can't remember what side your petrol cap is on? Yeah, particularly when you have a well, new car. You, yeah. So if you look at the dash, <laughs> I'm going to have to set up my own my own TikTok channel. It's a, if you look at the dash, right. and you look at the little petrol, like little petrol tank. Yes. There's an arrow arrow either going left or right and that's okay. beside your petrol pump is on I'm yes. telling you now go to your car have a look and you'll be absolutely amazed yeah it's oh, go inside in the petrol gauge for the oh. yeah so if you look at your dash you'll see the little petrol tank and there's an arrow going to face left or right that'll tell you what side your petrol pump is on I know there's people in their cars now struggling to they just realise this <laughs> because no, maybe this is all common knowledge, and people did say, "Well, if you read the instructions, yeah, you'd know this." But like, I've a I've a drawer full of instruction manuals for things <laughs> I've never read. Um, I think uh, we all you know. I, yeah, exactly. I refuse to re read instructions, and I said, if if I bought something and it wasn't working. Uh, or there was something I couldn't work something out. I would just bring it back as faulty rather than read the instruction manual. I know is that a is that a kind of. Oh yeah, Emer is showing me a picture of it here now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, Damien's life hacks. You, could, uh, it's coming soon. <laughs> but um, I certainly, I must try that again now when I go out to the car. 
Um, yeah, it works. It works in some some most. I think most cars. There was uh, there were people like I got loads of responses from it. Um, obviously, some people go, you know, they said that, geez, this has been around for years, and mm. um, I never knew it. I'm and a Dacia driver. I wonder, does it work for Dacia? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, well, you could read the instruction manual. I wouldn't recommend that because, you know, it's only all boring stuff. <laughs> it's um, not so much the, the boring, it's the fact that there's about seven languages. It's a good thing. It's yeah. as, as thick as an old phone book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, they're just, they're, they, they just need to stay in the glove box and look pretty. That's that's what mine does. Uh, an, Audi, um, an Audi 2003 has that windows open option, yeah. so it's nothing yeah. new, says someone else. But that's what I'm saying is that I've gone through years upon years of having to go out and start the car to pull up a window you know and now now you just need to just keep your finger on the button I mean this is it's a, it's a life changing experience <laughs> I'm going to give it a go at lunchtime and I shall, I shall report no, back <laughs> no problem I'll be waiting for the call follow me for more tips says Damien Sheen <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thanks cheers fella I, I, has any so yeah it happens with old Audis Seats Mercs Volkswagen Passat Skodas or is it Skoda Skodas or Skodas I haven't I did try it the other morning on my little Dacia but it didn't work I'll try it again at lunchtime and it's a new one by the way before anyone gives out to me it's a new one in my Ford Eco Sport excuse me if I press the open button three times quickly all my windows were open and if I press the close button three times all my windows will close that's Susan right Susan Claire you found out this what do you mean the hard way morning good morning I, it happened to me in my house here I put my keys on the worktop Somebody landed something down on top of my keys. I was gone to bed. I knew no more. I got up the following morning. It had lashed overnight and all my windows were open and the car was soaked. Oh, no. So just be careful. Make sure you put your keys up so that something can't land on them because it'll open all your windows and you won't know it. And what kind of a car have you? It's an Opel Mocha 181. Okay. Yeah, it, I went out to go to work and I went, oh, my windows are open and my seats were drenched. Yeah. So it can it can happen if somebody lands something on top of the key the wrong way it'll open all your windows. <laughs> so just something just something to make people aware of because your windows reopen and you won't even know they're open. Oh, and there's nothing worse. There's nothing oh, yeah. worse. Yeah, yeah. It's dangerous as well because if you're parked inside in town, inside and walk, and you put your keys down, something lands something on it, your car is wide open. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, I had an experience one night. Was it last year? the year before last time anyway we did a few flakes of snow oh lovely. went to bed one night and left left the passenger window of my car just half open and there was a bit, a bit of snow came and you know <laughs> the rest is history <laughs> Claire thank you 0818969696 there's the thing actually tomorrow's Friday we like to do something a bit mad on Friday we great crack last week with ice creams and Freaky foots with a chocolate toe and all that. What were you today years old when you found out? It's a good one. Things you find out that you never knew were there. Like Damien reckons this is a life-changing discovery for him. And Claire, in fairness to her, that's something you wouldn't want happening. So is there anything you have discovered that you would like to share? Something that the rest of us might not know. Or you see, when you do that, and I promise... I won't make any judgment on it. So when you do, 
say something like that, people will say to you, ah, sure, did you not know that? That's always been there. Then you feel like an idiot, right? And then, crikey! What, Jackie, what's that? Jackie has sent something in a, on a on voice message. EJ, if the petrol hack is news to you, you need to get a push bike. Well, thank you, Jackie. No, I knew the petrol hack. I knew the petrol hack, the petrol arrow on the side of the of the thing. You see, there you go, right? That's that's and that's the kind of response. If you if you knew if you thought the petrol hack was new, then you really should have a push bike. Like, come on, <laughs> there's Jackie. But yeah, stuff you found out when you were today years. Where did that expression come from? Where did we start saying I was today years old? When did we start doing that? Um, is there something you found out that you were today years old and you found it out and you'd like to share? Send us in your your experiences, your life hacks, your little tricks that will change the world. Or at least make you smile. 0818 96 96 96 083 396 9696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Colin was eight. Uh, it was today years old when he learned that PJ can't say Passat right. Sorry, what? This is the Volkswagen Passat. P-A-S-S-A-T. What is it only? Passat. What is it, Colin? Ger, instead of pouring pasta into a colander to strain it, put the colander into the pot, force the pasta down, and that'll strain it. It'll also squash it, won't it, Ger? Also, there'll be... The the car hack doesn't work on a Q Ford Eco Sport 172. Thank you. Michelle had a car back in 2004, Opel Corsa. My windows used to do this. Doesn't work on a Mazda 3, says Sharon. So it works on some cars, not on other. But it is a Passat. It is a Passat, isn't it? I'd be doubting myself now. Angela. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You went shopping for turf. Now, you do know that that's almost like dealing cocaine these days, but go on anyway. <laughs> this is going back many years ago now, PJ, when my, when my sister was very young. And my mum asked us to go and get two bales of briquettes. Nice. And as, as you do, like we went to the shop then, none in our local shop. So we ventured off on a bus down to the cross, the Lens Cross. Yeah. And we... As we were passing, do you remember the old Cashman's bookmakers on the corner on the right-hand side when you're coming down Mayfield Hill? I do. Cashman's, yeah, Liam well, Cashman's bookmakers. Liam Cashman's, on, that's right. Well, we were there and we spotted tough accountant on the, the <laughs> outside of it. <laughs> so we got off the bus and we had delighted with ourselves. We said we can get them in here now. So we went in and asked for two weeks of briquettes. <laughs> and he said, Christ, he said, this is not a... We don't sell tough. He said, we're a bookmakers. And we came out and I was saying, oh, my good Lord. That's the After best, After all yeah. these years, DJ, we only realised that catchment was not where you get tough and coal and all that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, 
yeah, stuff, you don't no. see it. You don't see it on the bookies shops these days. But I do remember Lamy Cashman. Sure, he was a, a sponsor of various things on ninety six FM for years. He actually uh, I, was. He was a good sponsor with Brian Dillings as well and years I, and ago. I often, I often met him. Turf accountant. A turf accountant, yeah. And so we went in looking for brick, two bales of briquettes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know when you see turf like we're only young? Yeah. We age, age, really been like on the bus anyway, that's all I can say. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, Jesus, uh, Angela, you made my day. That's brilliant. Uh, that's I said I love the show and I was just listening to the one about the pasta as well. That's comical. The pasta? I know, you'd you squash it. <laughs> you'd squash the whole thing. You didn't, you didn't know what kind of mush, like. You would, of course, and a load of water at that as well with it. Oh, stop. <gasps> oh, no, I love best. it. I love is, the show, you like. You don't happen to, thank you, you don't happen to know if Liam is, is still with us, do you? I actually don't, PJ. It's after change and everything's changed down there now, you know. Yeah. It's uh, gone, gone a lot of years. Fantastic. Angela, thank you. That's one wonderful story. She was sent out to buy two bales of briquettes when they were youngsters. And it wasn't in the local shops that they'd get a bus. They got a bus down. <laughs> they got a bus down to Liam Cashman's. It was a turf accountant. And when they didn't ask for turf, sure, he was a bookies. Bookies, turf accountant. I wonder, there's a thing, though. He was a terrible nice man, and he was involved with many sponsorship deals with... 96 of him sponsored many things on the radio station years ago. A very nice man. Met, met him many times. Is he still with us? I don't know. I wonder. 0818 96 96 96. You say Passat. It would appear that Pass, it's more Passat. So it's Volkswagen Passat, not Volkswagen Passat. Okay. I'm going to lose so much sleep about that. I really am. Michelle says. I'm 48, and I only just realised cornflakes are made of corn. Well, what else were they made of, Michelle? <laughs> right. Same with cars. I used to have... I did one time. I mean, how how pretentious was I going around in a Nissan Micra, right? I had a Nissan Micra van back in my DJing days. Think about it now, right? They were a lovely yoke, actually. I had a Nissan Micra van... It was silver, and it had a spoiler. It had a one-litre engine. It was barely a, an electric drill with wheels on it, but it had a spoiler at the back, and I put tinted back, a tinted back window on it, and tinted side windows, and I thought it was the sexiest thing on the planet. I actually got silver reflective side windows. Now, you couldn't do that now, right? But tint is still very popular. But be careful if you have got tinted windows in your car. There was a story from West Cork there a few weeks back where this, and it was a really sexy looking car. I saw a picture of it on, on Cork Bio. Fabulous looking yoke, sleek as you like, with all the windows tinted out. So the guards stopped, stopped it and they have a little tester and they said, uh-uh, too much tint, car too dark, get that tint off. And getting that tint on is a few hundred quid's worth, so getting it off would be expensive. Another thing that happens is if you go down to the NCT, if you can get an appointment, if you go down to the NCT with a tinted car, you might just end up failing it. 
because there are regulations surrounding tint. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that either because when I had a tint, I don't remember there being any any regulations other than you couldn't put them on the front windscreen, which made a bit of sense. But there are regulations and rules and if you have got a tint on your car or if you're considering putting a tint on your car, you might want to think about those rules. Leonard Vance is with Monster Tint and by the, the, the clue is in the title. He knows what he's talking about. Leonard, good morning. Morning, BJ. Um, thanks for having me on your show. Um, I would say a lot of people are being made aware of it uh, lately, like especially within the last 12 months or so. Prior to that, the law wasn't really, it, they weren't really that strict uh, yeah. on the, the percentages, like, you know, in terms of going through the NCT and that. But definitely I've seen an influx of, of customers coming back within the last 12 months just saying that they, they want to remove it for the NCT. The law has always been the same. It's just, I think it's just been being enforced a bit more now. You mentioned percentages. Now explain what you mean by that. So um, the legal limit is 35% tint. So generally the, the issue lies where majority of cars have a factory tint in the glass, which would be uh, roughly around 20 to 25% in the glass already okay. in the front windows. Okay. So the lightest shade of tint that we have or any other tint shop would, would have would be 30%. 30% is technically the legal tint because it's below 35. However, when you add that to your factory tint in the glass, it brings it up to around the 50 mark. Oh, so the car comes from the factory with a, a tint, if you want, baked in, and then you put your regular legal tint on top of it. I'm over the limit before I start. Exactly, exactly. And to be fair, the 30% is a very, very light tint but it is over the limit. That's where the issue lies, you know, because we, we have had a couple of uh, customers come back to us saying that, you know, oh, you put on the legal tint, you know, but we failed the NCT, and that is the issue. It's the factory tint that's in the glass added to the 30% tint. The guards have a new gadget as well that they can test it at the side of the road. Yeah, that's right. It's a um, visual light transmission reader, uh, so they will, they will put something on either side of the window and they'll measure the light going through. I remember when I had tints on my own car back in the 90s, I, I left the windscreen as, as it came from the factory and tinted the side windows. Is there a difference between what you can have on the side windows and what you can put on the windscreen? Uh, no, it's the same, PJ. So, like, the, the, the law is the same for the front three windows. That'd be the windscreen and the two, the two passenger windows. There is this new thing called the chameleon windscreen, and it gives good protection against UV, gives good anti-glare properties. Right. And it is NCD possible. We have actually just just measured one last week, just to be to be sure before I went on your show, and um, it read up as twenty nine percent tint that was added to the factory tint as well. So like we actually had a customer come in asking us to take it off for the NCT, and I just informed him then Joe that we would read it before we took it off, so it wouldn't be wasting his money. Like chameleon um, sounds like it changes color. That's obviously not what it does, is it? There's a couple of different colours in it and depending on the lighting, uh, the weather and the angle that you're looking at it, it changes in, in strength. If I come into you with my car and I say, Leonard, I want to tint there on my side windows or my front windows or whatever, are you obliged to tell me, well, if I add that to what you already have or add this tint to what you already have, you're not going to pass a test? Yeah, certainly. Like, I think it's... I think it's 
the best the best approach. Um, a lot of people aren't like a lot of people aren't actually aware of it. They'll just come in. They'll say you know they want thirty percent tint in the front. At that stage, then we we inform them that you know when you add this to your factory tint, brings it up over the the limit. Are you still okay to go ahead with that? Mm. You, you keep coming back to the the, the factory tint. But are people aware, Leonard, of factory tints because they are so slight? You'd forget yeah. they were there. They're definitely not aware of them because any time I say it to somebody that they've got a, you know around twenty to twenty five percent factory tint in your glass, it kind of depends on the manufacturer how much they they put into the glass. But um, whenever I tell them that, they their 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 immediate answer is, oh no, I don't I don't have it tinted. What about sun yep. visors? I, I remember there was a craze. Radio stations, for example, used to give out sun visors that you put up on on the top of the car, but. Are they illegal or are they covered by the same rules as tinting or what? It's a bit of a grey area with sun visors, but on some cars there is a, a line on the windscreen. And from what I've been told is that that line is the the most you can come down with a sun visor. Yeah. Um, so generally I would advise when, I, when I'm putting sun visors onto cars, I would just say, look, you're, you're more than likely going to have to take this off for an NCT. It's it's kind of annoying, really, because they're actually for safety. You know, they're actually very good to to stop that glare yeah. of the sun coming down. We we did ask the NCT people a few questions. Fergal emailed them and got a response with regard to sun visors. They must meet the requirements of Section Three Two of the Tester Manual. I don't have a Tester Manual, so unfortunately, I can't look at what that means. Minimum light transmission. Uh, so, it, really, if you are put, it's it's probably fair to say, Leonard, that if you are tinting the windows of your car and you have an NCT coming up you might want to think twice that's what we always say if you have an NCT coming up uh, within the next you know six months or that I would just hold off on putting anything on because you know generally like it's going to have to come off uh, for the NCT their response on Chameleon was that it must meet the requirements of Section 3.2 of the Tester Manual again 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 uh, Yeah, you're doing yourself out of work here Leonard by saying don't come to us if you're NCT coming up but you're also kind of saying look this is this is what the rules are you have to I mean the, the last thing we want is for people to come back to us and say you know oh, but you, you promised that we go through an NCT and now it's failed you know so mm. it just doesn't it doesn't work out well in the long run like so you're better off just advising people and I think a lot of people just you know they kind of respect that honesty as well sure with the guards now able to stop people and check the tint like we referred to earlier on with this gadget that they have now what are the implications for you if your tint is over the limit at a checkpoint that I'm not really sure of I don't know what the penalty is I've heard stories of just people having to take it off from the spot some people were issued fines there was a rumour going around that you'd, you'd be getting penalty points for it but I'm not really sure what the what the punishment is for it Okay something worth checking with the RSA because the list of penalty point offences seems to change every week of the year Yep I suppose Leonard the, the advice is think carefully before you do this Definitely, like even you know, before you before you go ahead and tint your car, come talk to us. And mm-hmm. even when you are, when you have an NCT coming up, and if you want to bring your car into us to get it checked uh, using our meter, you're more than welcome. It's a free free service. Like you just come in, we'll just check it with the meter. You'll know there and then if you're going to go through an NCT or not. It might save you a couple of hundred euro in taking it off and, and getting it done again. And indeed, go to a professional. I know because it's popular there's more people want it done than 
professionals have time to do it. So don't be caught out by a cowboy operator. Take advice. Wait for the advice. Exactly. It is It is a growing industry and you do have less professional people doing it. If they don't have a meter, if they're not going to give you proper uh, readings, then just, just go somewhere else that will. Leonard, thank you very much. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on the show. Cheers. Leonard Vance from Munster Tint. I, there's a few things you wouldn't have known now, I expect. The car comes with a tint baked into it and be careful what you put on top of it and all that but there are definitely rules and regulations out there I must have a look I did have a look when I was reading about the penalty point list it's not on it but it's confusing because if you are fined for an offence then there are usually penalty points with it um, be interesting to try to find that out though are there penalty points if your car is over-tinted, to say that, to, to use that expression. Moraid has been on to tell us that the Grand Parade Dawn Square scene is no longer sealed off. Also, with regard to footage and photographs and the guards looking for dash cam and stuff, as they were, I think a lot of people were around there last evening just rubbernecking to see what was going on. Which wasn't very kind. That's why there was a picture, I got a picture sent to me, which was taken from an upstairs window of a guard, two couple of guards, holding up these tarpaulin sheets to try and block off the scene on the ground. And that was to stop people rubbernecking in. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's ninety six FM. Talking to Damien Sreenan earlier about that little trick you can do with your car windows, Dermot. You want to follow on from that? Give me thirty seconds, if you would, please. You'll be up next. Every man with us all this week celebrating their summer season. Some great shows there. I have tickets for bridesmaids and dinner for you. If you can tell me who this is. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. It's very short and very sweet. Who is it? His name and yours, please. 083 396 96 96. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> Sounds like an old radio boss I had years ago. Dermot, morning. You were listening to Damien and the little trick with the windows and the car fob and the whole thing. Indeed I was. Yeah, I just uh, reminded me straight away a few years ago. I was working there as a courier um, to some Cork and um, was driving one of the Sprinter vans. So when the morning was loaded up, I was obviously quite warm after loading the van and had the windows down, drove off. um, It began to get very, very wet outside. It was lashing, it was freezing. Uh, the window button to put it back up wouldn't work, so it was stuck in the down position for for the whole day. So oh about ten hours driving around, um, absolutely soaked inside the van, everything freezing the whole lot. Um, so I got back to the depot in the evening, and the fleet manager was there looking at me, covered in water, and just laughing. And what happened? The, yeah, the button won't work. Handed in the key, and he said, "Watch this. Press the button, and oh. turn off up the window." I was like. <laughs> <laughs> and had you you'd no idea absolutely no idea no, no. it was a, 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 another a, another tip for me to, to learn you know but um, that, uh, that lad that was oh he teached the, the magic he could do with fans and all the different gizmos and stuff he's a magician but um, 
Yeah, no, it's a good thing to know. And have you tried it with other cars since? I I actually, I did. I did a a Hyundai uh, iX35. And yeah, I worked on that too, no problem. But um, yeah, it's it's good to know, especially with the buttons, because I think buttons in in cars can sometimes be a bit funky. Yeah. So um, yeah, that might get someone out of a, a situation, definitely. That's, a, that's an interesting one. Dermot, thanks you. 0818 96 96 96. Can you imagine that? He drives around all day in his van with the window stuck on open and it's raining and the wind is blowing in and he's soaked and he's frozen and he brings the van back to his boss and he's soaked and he's frozen and he's shivering after his day's work. <laughs> and he says, the button is stuck, the window won't close. And his boss says, give me the key. Oh, no, 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 no. 0818 96 96 96. Jerry's insisting that if you do the pasta the way she says, you won't crush it. Jerry says, instead of pouring pasta into the colander to strain it, put the colander into the pot and force the pasta down and strain it that way. It's much simpler, and she insists it doesn't squash the pasta. I can't imagine how it wouldn't. But thanks for that. Lily, ah, Lily, I've been doing this myself for a while. I think it was Johnny. I think it was, uh, is it Johnny? The um, the TV, the Virgin Media Television chef. He's on here with me from time to time. Uh, when you have a barbecue, if you use the charcoal barbecue, which, by the way, once you try charcoal, I, I can't see you'll ever go back to gas. But anyway, that's by the way. But when you put the charcoal into the barbecue, so pour it out of the the chimney pot that you have when it's hot, put it into the barbecue and then instead of spreading it out, push it to the left or the right side or push it all to one corner. If you have a circular barbecue like I have, I push it all over to the left. And then for the real flaming heat, like to sear a steak or or stuff like that, put it over there. But to cook meat, so you sear the outside of the steak, say, and then push it over to the other side where there's no charcoal underneath, close the lid and the heat will cook the steak and at the very very end push it back onto the charcoal again to finish the job yep Lily that's great that's a great idea for for doing charcoal it was the difference between my charcoal barbecued food being edible and and, and being nuclear waste so thanks for that oh Cara Junior School and a lovely act of kindness okay Colette principal of Cara Junior School up in Bandoff Road what happened? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, thanks for having us on. Um, what happened is, um, well, actually, it's it's ongoing. Our, our pupils often go up to the barn restaurant in Glanmire there um, yeah. for what is a vital part of our curriculum is social skills training. Yeah. Uh, you know, they learn to deal with money. They learn to deal with waiting. Um, taking turns so it's it's really vital to us and um, the barn restaurant have just been incredible to us they're very very accommodating they understand the needs of our children so they're very good to them and they frequently refuse to take any money from us get away um, which is it's astounding because we are often you know we're trying (laughs) We try and we really appreciate it because obviously the, the the money then goes back into the school pot for other things. But you, they've been so generous. Even at Christmas, they gave the kids um, selection boxes. 
Isn't that lovely? So, I mean, this, it, it was lovely. Like, it blows the staff away that they are so good to us. And it's just, it's wonderful. You know, we've had parents who who wouldn't take a child to the restaurant and say, we can't do that. And and we take them because, obviously, we've more adults to, to deal with yeah. um, any situation. And the child, you know, the children now go to restaurants with their family. So it's yeah. a huge, huge thing for us that yeah. a restaurant accommodates and includes our, our pupils. Yeah, it, it is great. And then um, to but... be the generosity on top of that, that they don't take payment is even bigger. Is this because you know, it was the amazing. end of the season or what, or the end of the term? No, no, this this happens on, on, a, on a frequent basis. Isn't that lovely? That they will, um, yeah. Yeah, they're just they're just incredible up there. They really are very very good to us. Yeah. Like we um, we really do appreciate it. Not on behalf of our pupils and their families. That no. um, you know, and we recommend to our parents. You know, go 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 give them back the business because they are they're just great. Yeah, it is wonderful, the socialisation, and so important. I mean, my lad is twenty six years old now, and he loves going restaurants to go to dinner to go to lunch mm-hmm. go to breakfast it's it, it's and he's so if you like well behaved and he does his own ordering and he yep. does his own paying and that's because years ago his key workers began to bring him out for lunch yep. and for coffee once a week and it's so important yep. it's great to see a, it's great to see a school doing that and even better again to see yep. see a restaurant recognizing the importance of the socialization yeah, it it really is. I mean, it's an invaluable part of our school curriculum, as I said, because because it, it's including our pupils in life and society. So we do need to be out there in society. And as I say, I mean, the barn are just so very understanding, even when we have a pupil who's not dealing with it so well. They they understand and they give us space and they give us time. That's lovely. To um, you know, to carry on. So it it, it is, and you know, it's lovely not to have the eyes of the world on you. Yeah, yeah. Or know that you're in a safe space and people understand sure, what's happening. Sure. Did someone up there even go to the trouble of learning some little love signs? I do believe, I, I, I must say, I don't get the opportunity to go with our pupils. That's the downside of my job. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I've, uh, the staff, I think the manager, Con, I think has learned some love to say hello and thank you, which That's is fantastic because obviously we promote that communication in the school very much. So it's lovely that someone, an adult outside of their environment, is using it so that the pupils can use it back to them. So that is absolutely fantastic. That's fantastic. That really is going above and beyond. Clet, I'm glad you told me that now because the last time we were talking about the barn, we were talking to them about cashless payments and people were giving out and cribbing and crying. But that's a lovely story and well done to the team up there for, for that. It really is great. And my, my best to everybody in Cara Junior School and Bandoff Road. What a wonderful, wonderful school doing great work with these kids. Thank you, Colette Butler. She's principal of there and well done to everybody in the barn, particularly the person or persons who went to the trouble of learning a little bit of love. Speaking of love, I had a lovely message from St. Paul's and they did something for Christy Dignam. They did a little a little sing-song for Christy Dignam. It's so cute, so cute and thanks to them for sending me that. Um... Jar is right, says Mags. That's how I strain pasta as well.
work. Wouldn't it squash the pasta? You could push a colander down into the saucepan. Wouldn't it squash? The, it, particularly if you've pasta tubes or flowers or whatever you have. Wouldn't it squash? I can imagine with spaghetti it'd be all right, but Okay, if if you say so, I'm 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 not about to try it. I'd be half afraid. I missed how to fix the window with the fob. Can you repeat? Says John. John, just hold down the open and close buttons on the car fob, and according to Damien and many others, the windows will open and the windows will close if you hold down the button. I tried it. It didn't work. I will try it again at lunchtime, and and report back. Tomorrow. Right, very last little bit of business. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Okay, Vanessa, who's that? Hello? Hiya. Who Hi. is it? Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando, of course it is, the unmistakable. Well, we're going to send you off to the Everyman for their summer season. I have a pair of tickets for Bridesmaids, which is a great show. And before you go to see Bridesmaids, we will send you to a pre-show meal at Moody Cafe Van. So a nice evening out for yourself and whoever you choose to take with you. Thank you very much. You're good with that? All right, Vanessa. Well done. Put your back on the lads in case they need any more information. Thank you for that. Tomorrow I have tickets for Tom Crean, Antarctic Explorer, plus a pre-show meal as we finish up our week with our friends at the Everyman. That's pretty much it. I want more of your I was today years old stuff for tomorrow. We'll have a bit of fun with that. Program edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever you did. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie.